0: Brother Mohan, this morning, Oscar. Yes, you took off the you probably... Yeah. I yeah. um, Already did, sweetheart. Thank you. Okay. All right, well, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the fact that we got to come to church this morning. I pray that you just bless. So only you can, I pray that your hand of mercy would be upon us. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you'd give us rest to our souls. Help us to understand your word, and Lord, to hide it in our heart, that we might not sin against you. I pray that you do all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Oh, great. No, I can't open my notes. Huh? If you could get me that. Good morning, Miss Juanita. Good, morning. Good to see you this morning. Oh, you know what it is? Yeah. Let me get the internet stirred on this. If I open it, see I didn't open it from last week, so... I was, yeah, if you want to get, actually, Second Peter and First John. First John was the notes that I needed, so... And it's on here, it's just... Let's open this sucker up. All right, let's just go through a really quick review of Second uh, Peter. Uh, we know that Second Peter is written any time before 64 to 67 AD. We know that... Um, that also, that Second Peter was also a, the most controversial book of the New Testament. The canonization, when it was first uh, decided for the canonization, there we go, it was the internet. Uh, the canonization of Second Peter was something that was of, uh, undiscernible. They were wondering if it should have been canonized. Uh, it was found that there was different uh, writings. When you look at all the different writings of Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, You'll find that there's going to be key phrases and certain styles. Take, for instance, uh, if you look at Paul, he always started with a greeting. Okay, Peter had his own type of greeting; he had his own type of style of writing, and so they had some question because it varied a tiny bit from what the Bible, what Peter had already written in First Peter. But uh, that canonization or the uh, authorship of second Peter was determined and it 's no question no longer but there was some question in the beginning the theme of second Peter is danger of false teachers danger of false teachers the purposes of second Peter and there's four of the are three of them to stir believers to growth to encourage patience in the Lord's return and to encourage proper doctrines and ethics. To encourage proper doctrine and ethics. The key word for the book of 2 Peter was knowledge. Knowledge. And we talked about the three things that you need to know in order to have the knowledge. First of all, as we've been teaching on Wednesday night, you need to know God's Word. Secondly, you need to know your enemy. Who is your enemy? And thirdly, you need to know your guide, which is God. Alright, now we'll just go over some of the content. We talked about the safeguards against apostasy. And there were three things underneath that. Maturity of the believers, the testimony of Peter, and the authority of Scripture. And then last week we talked about, I'm sorry, two weeks ago we talked about the description of apostates. What is an apostate? I know this is kind of dry. I reviewed just because I hope that some of it will sink in. What is an apostate? yes yeah okay uh I think that's correct uh, deviates from the scripture yeah um I think what you're you're thinking of apostate is is a correct i think apostate I think you're right, I could be wrong about that, but I think there's another word, though. Yes. Okay. Yeah, then you are right. I thought there was, there's two different types of terms for someone that actually leaves the faith, or someone that actually stayed in the faith, I'm sorry, that never had the faith in the first place. So, uh, obviously, you're going to have heretics <laughs> that, that understood, that doesn't understand scripture, like, cults, or a cult. That's what I'm looking for. There we go. So there's the two differences. Apostate is someone that had the knowledge, understood the knowledge, and deviated from it, or uh, left it. Okay? What is a good example of that? The Presbyterian Church. The Methodist Church. They both had the right, the Lutheran Church, for that matter. They all had the right way. And then they what? Yes? Yes? Right, as far as salvation is concerned. Is there any other thing I'm thinking of? Well, no, because uh, the Lutherans always... In that in oh, did they? Okay. Well, I'm sorry, salvation is important. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to agree completely on doctrine, but as far as the salvation, which is the beginning of every Christian soul, and that is what? Salvation by grace, I'm sorry, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone and repentance of your sin. And those things are important. Good morning, glad to have you this morning. And so, I'm what I'm trying to get across is the important. We talked about three things that has to do with apostates, and we're going to talk, we talked about the condemnation, the character, and lastly, let's talk about the claim. So, turn to Second Peter, chapter two. And we're starting in verse 18. And we're going to talk about the claims of apostates. It says in verse 18, When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much what? Wantedness. Wantedness is the idea of unbridled lust. Lacis, uh, lacis, uh, I'm not even going to say that word this morning. I'm having a bad, bad morning this morning. Lasciviousness. Licentiousness. There we go. Shamelessness. Those are what you want to think of when you talk about wantonness. And it says, Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruptions. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse, with them the beginning. For it had been better through them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto him, unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, a dog turned to his own vomit again, and the sow, sow that was washed her, to her wallowing in the mire. So what is that verse trying to say? It's better for us as Christians to never go back to our old ways. You'll find that a lot of people will go back to their old ways. Now, it doesn't mean that they're unsaved or that they've lost their salvation, because it is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is salvation uh, through Jesus Christ, repentance of our sins. But the Bible says it's going to be worse if you go back to your old ways. Why? Why? Because not only do you, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but He has adopted you into His family. Okay? What happens when you're adopted in your family? No longer are you what? A bastard. You're a son. What happens to sons? The Bible says God what? He chastises His son. He says you love your son, you chastise him. Same way with you. If you leave Christ after being saved and knowing, coming to the knowledge of the truth. Just stop me, Oscar, if I'm going too fast. Because I've got to get back in that mode again. I forget about it, okay? The knowledge of the truth. What's going to happen? God is going to come and He's going to judge you. He's going to come down hard. He's going to come down swift. Because He what? He loves you. God loved you even before you were a sinner, but He loves you even more now. Why is that? Because you accepted His Son, the sacrifice, for your sin. And that's why it's saying here, He says, listen, in verse uh, 21, For it has been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, and after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. I know of we know of someone um that came to us recently and had asked um either me or my wife had talked about something that they had done, and they were ashamed of it and when they had talked to him, they says, You know I just don't feel like I'm a christian anymore i i i and and I think they took some of this, wouldn't it be close to what they were thinking? They used another verse though, didn't they, yeah. But they they were discouraged, they were downhearted about uh, the sin that they had committed and, and they were worried that they had lost their salvation. Now let me tell you something, folks. There is nothing, the Bible says, that you cannot be plucked out of his hand. You cannot lose your salvation. If you can lose your salvation, then it's not of Jesus Christ and it's not of faith. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved. But the judgment of God will come down hard upon your life. People wonder why in the Bible it talks about the sickness and death. talks about uh, troubles and trials. Why does that come upon your life? Because God's trying to get you to turn back to Him. When we turn back to God, that's all He wants. And God's saying, hey, listen. In verse 18, He says... I'm sorry, in verse 20, For if they had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them from the beginning. Here's what you'll see. I know, we know of a church that's down the road. Not here in Chicago, but down in Indiana. The very pastor of that church, not now, but in the past, back in the 70s and the 80s, the pastor of that church lived in ungodly, immoral sin. It wasn't too long after that that he started talking heresy. Why did he start talking about heresy? He started saying that God was never a man. Now, we know that God was man and God at the same time when he was on earth. But he began to say, hey, God was never man. Then he came up with this philosophy that you didn't have to repent of your sin. Now, why was that? This very verse is what it's talking about right here. You can go and live in sin, but let me tell you something. Apostasy will happen in your life. Once you start living a life of sin, guess what? Things that are in this word are going to be compromised. Because you're not going to believe it because you have a heart that cannot, hold, uh, cannot commune with the Holy Spirit. You have a heart that will not commune with God. And so you're going to get all whacked out on your philosophy. Lewis, you know of some friends that have done that, haven't you? Just when you were just came into this church. There are some people that came in here with the same time. Had some philosophies. They seemed like they had the same beliefs. Where'd those beliefs go? They're gone. They're no longer the same. Did Jesus change? Did God change? No, He didn't. And this is what this verse is trying to say. You go live in sin, that's fine. Does that mean that God's going to allow you to live in sin? No. You're going to be whacked out on your doctrine. You're going to be whacked out in judgment. You're going to be whacked out in problems in your life, time after time. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen how if I've I've left the things that God has told me to do, the very next uh, uh, month, two months, three months, it doesn't go by and I start seeing problems come up in my life. And that's when I say, "Oh God, please forgive me. I have left." That's what God wants. It's the only thing He does want. He wants us to turn from our sin and turn to Him. So we talked about the claims. I want you to uh, take the mind. Look at verse eighteen, verse eighteen of Second Peter chapter two. It says, "For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of flesh, through much wantonness." Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is brought into bondage. What do these people usually do? If they go in error, if they are apostate that knew the faith and then left it, had the knowledge and then left it, usually what they try to do is to allure others to join them. People say, well, you know, me living in sin does not affect anyone else. It does. Your sin affects others. It could affect in one way or another, but it affects others, especially if you have a family. If your kids see how the way you're living, if you're missing church night after night, week after week, eventually what's going to happen? Your kids are going to see it, and they're going to be discouraged, especially if they're saved. What about your friends? What about the people that are in the church already? Are they going to get discouraged? Yeah, they are. They're going to say, "Why this person was I really looked up to. I, I can guarantee you, there's, I know when I was growing up that there was a whole bunch of uh, people that were on the staff that I knew that left the church and it was a huge discourage, discouragement to me as a teenager. They not only left the church, but they left God in general. Why? Well, no, this verse right here talks about it, and some of them, what they would do is, and they left the church. They try to take others with them. Come with me. Why? Misery always loves, always loves company. And so, what they do, they start talking swelling words, like it says in verse eighteen. It says, "Words of vanity that allure through the lust of the flesh." When you have the weak people of this world, guess what's going to happen. The people that are living in sin, the people that are trying to, uh, be, that are becoming apostate or apostate, guess what? They're going to take them out of the church. And the reason why is because they're not strong in their faith. It's important to understand that apostasy can happen in this church here, it can happen to any church. The question is, how does it happen, and are you going to allow it to happen in your life? All right, so we're going to talk, we've talked about the condemnation. We've talked about the character of apostasy. We've talked about claims of apostasy. But lastly, we're going to, and this is the last of Second Peter. We'll go on to First John if I get done today. We're going to talk about the uh, um, refuting of apostasy, the refutation of apostasy. So turn to Second Peter chapter 3, and we're going to re- start out 1 through 18. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophet of the commandments in the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. So what does he say the first thing that's important in being to be able to refute apostasy in your life, of refute apostasy in the church, and to refute apostasy out in the world. What is the first thing? In verse 2, that ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. What is that? That's God's word, isn't it? You need to know God's word. You think Wednesday night is not important? How did Jesus answer Satan when Satan would throw apostasy or apostate facts at him? How did he deal with that? Satan will do everything he can. He'll twist it. He'll twist. How do you say twist in Spanish? All right, I didn't get that. All right. You twist. They'll twist the scripture. He'll do everything he can to make the scripture not be what it should be. And that's what he did with with Jesus. He says, well, you know, cast your foot upon the stone. Your angels will come and take care of you. Ask, uh, command the bread, or turn the stone into bread, right? And Jesus Christ said, not by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We have a very important mind to say, hey, God's word is this. There's no variation. There's no deviation. If you have have a problem with what the Bible says, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with God god and so when people start coming to you and saying why do you go to that that old-fashioned church where they don't have a drum set and they don't have a snare and they don't have i mean a snare set they don't have a a, a, a guitar and they don't play uh, they don't have uh, 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 some uh, some preacher that's going to get up there and tickle your ears well i i try to go by what god's word says well, God's Word is on standards. And maybe someone will come to you and say, Ladies, why do you wear those dresses? That's going to be a question. <laughs> I remember back when I was a kid, I remember uh, uh, my sister would uh, wear, we'd go skiing. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been skiing before, but it's not really something that you wear a dress in when you're skiing. <laughs> and my sister would wear culottes of course nobody else noticed except uh or i didn't notice but everybody else did and they'd come up to me and we'd be standing together in line waiting to get on to the uh uh the lift and and uh and and they'd say hey is she wearing a dress oh no they're culottes oh okay they were just amazed. I mean, my sister, she, growing up, she did everything with us. She, she, we went down the Grand Canyon. We went up Pikes Peak. Uh, we did all kinds of fun things. We went down the, uh, the, uh, um, the Arizona River in, Calo- uh, in Colorado and went whitewater rafting. We did all kinds of things. Did she wear pants? Not one time. And I say, why does you ladies, why do you wear, why do you wear your dresses? You better know your scripture. What does the Bible say? I think it's kind of also deems important. Now, we, didn't, we talk about dress on women, but dress on men too. <laughs> you never catch me dead in a pair of skinny jeans. Tight, skinny jeans. Okay? Because they look feminine. They look like a bunch of girlies. Okay? The day that I come walking in with a pair of skinny jeans, the day I will never come back to this church, because I will be—I well, la- should be laughed to scorn. Men, our dress should not. Another thing, pink. You will never catch me wearing pink. I saw even guys that I was new in Bible college would wear pink. I will never wear pink, just because the world says it's okay. Does that mean I'm going to wear it? No. Our goal should be what, men? We've got to to stand up for what we are, what God wants us to be. If God says that we shouldn't wear feminine clothes, let's not wear feminine clothes. Wear that which pertaineth to a woman. Don't wear that which pertaineth to a woman. Now, I'm stepping on some toes here. This is some meat that I'm talking about here, but it's important. We have to know where the Bible stands on every issue. You know? Back in the 90s and late, late 80s, it was cool for boys to have hair down to here. They'd have it over their ears. And I think even more. What is it back? Big shaggy hair? The Bible says that a man should what? Should not have long hair. I'm thankful for my grandpa. Uh. It was really popular back in the 80s to have a rat tail does anybody know what a rat tail is it's a little teeny tiny tail about that big and it just kind of went back in the back and it just kind of came down a little bit and my rat uh, rat tail and my grandpa says you don't are you a sissy my grandpa he's not saved well he might be i don't know he definitely doesn't show evidence of it but he says what are you a sissy Sissy's had ponytails. I said, Grandpa, I want... No, sissy's had ponytails. He never... He cut my hair real short. I look like a Marine half the time when I got out of the barber's chair. But listen to me. The Bible's very clear about all these things. And I tell you what. This is something else that I think the Bible's very clear about. There is an over-feminization of our young people, our boys. over Feminization. What do I mean? By that it means there's this idea that our little boys should be girls, mommy babies, and mommy. Oh, they're just oh. No, oh. it should be that our our men should say they're going to be men, and we're going to raise them to be that way. Right? Here's something that I see. How many's ever seen a boy wearing a bracelet? I have. I hope. Back in the, um, I don't know if this is in the mid-2000s, uh, Lance Armstrong had a yellow bracelet, rubber bracelet. And it was to something to talk about cancer. I won't wear it. I think it's a great cost. But I wouldn't wear it. Why? Because I'm a man. You're not going to see an earring in Mr. Hod's ear. Why? Because I'm a man. When we don't stand up for Scripture, guess what? It's going to creep slowly and surely into the church. I think modesty in men is as as important as modesty on women. I think keeping your boys to be non-feminine is as important as keeping your girls to be ladies. And when when we take away from the Scriptures, you will find that those very things that I'm talking about right now, you say, oh, they're not that important. You watch people that lose their standards. You watch people lose their standard in music, lost their standards in dress, lost their standards in, in uh, 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 their scripture, their, their attendance. Eventually, you know what happens? Those things that were important before no longer become. And before long, they will become apostate. It's not important. I don't need to do this. How does a Baptist turn into a Mormon? I know of a few of them. How does a Baptist turn into a Catholic? Apostasy. Having no desire to know what God wants you to do. So we talk about being mindful of the Word. Secondly, we're going to talk about being not ignorant of the promises. In verse four, knowing, or verse three, knowing this first, that there shall come in last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God. The heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that when then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. This is a good verse to keep as memory. The Lord is not what? Slack. Slack. What is slackness? What is this? It's a microphone. Thank you, Brother Juan. What's this here, though? If you pull this, it's what? It's tight. Okay. Brother Juan, thank you. You You're such a big help to me today. This here is what? Is it tight? Huh? It's slack, right? Tight? Slack. Okay, everybody got it? So, if something's not tight... If something's not being able to there's no budging here, is there? There's no giving here, is there? Now I probably could tie it to the back of a car. And tie it to another car, and yes, it would be even tighter, wouldn't it? But there's no budging. Thank you, Oscar. This here is what? Slack. There's a lot of give, isn't there? Right? The Bible says that what? He is not slack. There is no budging concerning His promises. As other men, what does it say? As some men count what? Slackness. You're gonna, I'm going to fail you. I'm human. I fail my wife. Sometimes every day. Pastor will fail you. Why? Because he's human. He's not God. Your husband, your wife... Your child, your father, your mother will fail you. But God's promises will not. When you learn that, you'll find that His promises always come true. It's important to know the Bible says that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. There are some pastors that will say, well, they were okay until they were 18 in my house, and then they left, and then they just went bad. Wait a minute, did you not claim God's promise? Why are you still in the pulpit? Your son went bad, why are you still in the pulpit? Some people say, well, that's only in the house, while they're in the house. No, the Bible says train him the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Promises say all kinds of things, Right? You can go through this book and you can find everything that God has for you and you can say, God, I claim this promise. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's all kinds of promises. The Bible says that if uh, a child that obeys his parents, honor thy father and thy mother, for this, I think I got this screwed up with another verse, obey your mom and dad and you're going to what? Live long on the earth. I think these are promises that God has given us. What do they want to do? They want to, they want to have disbelief in what God's promises say. How many know the promises of God? Can you name them? Might be something you want to think about. Be not ignorant of the promises. Of, thirdly, be diligent in holiness. Let's go back the second Peter, verse 10. The Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I'm sorry, let's finish that first verse. As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. There's another verse on repentance. Don't forget that verse. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, with the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things being shall be dissolved, what manner of person might ye to be in all what? Holy conversation and godliness. Looking for the hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for the new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, what? Be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And I count that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Verse 16, And also all his epistles, according to them these things, which are some hard to be understood, which they are unlearned and unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. What is he saying? Be diligent. What does it mean to be, be, be diligent? I know something that everybody's diligent on. Some are even more diligent than others, but everybody's diligent on this. How many is diligent to eat? Everybody eats, right? We have... Right? Here we go. We have breakfast. Some of us do. But if you don't have breakfast, you usually have a snack midday. Even if it's through the vending machine, for goodness sakes. We're, we're going to be diligent to come to lunch at 12. We're going to be diligent to come to lunch at 5 o'clock. We're going to be diligently to come to, to a snack, maybe at 6 or 7 or 8. I don't know what your eating schedule is, but everybody's diligent to eat. What is the Bible telling us to do? Be diligent to holiness. Every part of your day should be, just like you when you eat, should be a big part of your life, is to be holy. Holiness. What is holiness? What do you think holiness means to you? Someone raise your hand. Tell me what holiness means. What does holiness mean? Nobody know? Oscar? That's sanctification. Yes. Yes. Holiness is perfection. Sinless. Okay. Now, are you going to be sinless? No, but you're going to work toward it, aren't you? Diligent in holiness. Working towards sinless. Being sinless. And lastly, number four, we need to beware. In verse 17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error... Of the wicked, fall from your own steadfast, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and forever. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you see someone else fall. You see someone else go into apostasy or become apostate. What should you do? It should be a reminder to you. I remember asking this pastor one time. I asked him, I said uh, his former pastor had had uh, had gone off the deep end, and um, he had done something very immoral. And so I asked him this question: I said, "What did you learn from what your pastor did? What did you learn?" You know, what he told me, surprised surprised the fire out of me. He says, "I just knew that he was. Now I know he was imperfect." And that I could live up, I could be better than him. It just took me back for a second. I went, wait wait a minute. I didn't question him further, I just let it go. When he told me that, I thought, wait a minute. There was no compassion. There was no sorrow. There was no sadness. It was a sense of a competition. And it broke my heart because I realized that this person was living their life all for the expectation of this man. He was really doing what? Man worship. It should be when someone falls into sin. Oh God, please be with this person. Please help them. God, they've been overtaken and fall. Please help them, restore them back into the faith. If your attitude is <laughs> he got his just desserts. <laughs> I know I'm better than him now. He got the wrong attitude should be you start reflecting on yourself and saying, Wow, what's my life like? How am I living my life? Is there things that I need to change? I tell you what, many times when I've seen people that I've known very well that have fallen, I've started to question myself and saying, Am I just a step away from the same problem this person had? And I have to ask myself that. I have to do some reflection upon my life and ask God, Help me to change. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. We're done with 2 Peter, by the way. We'll talk on 1 John next week. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful for your word and that you've given us so much to live by. Lord, we can never, ever, ever know all the things that you want us to know, but you do give us your word. And that's why we should study to show ourselves approved unto you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd please bless the service this morning, be with the pastor as he preaches. God, I pray that your power be upon him. Be at this church, God. Please help it. In Jesus' name. Amen.